0: Hey everyone, it's Patrick with MixingLight.com, and this week I've broken with tradition. I'm not writing an article, I'm not recording a video. We are doing a podcast interview, and I've got on the line with me Eric Bowen. Eric, say hi. Hello, how's it going? Good, and Eric, we've got you on here because you are a kind of... I, a techie guru when it comes to the land of PC and putting together computer systems for professional video and audio workflows. Is that would that be accurate to state?
1: Yes, sir. That would be.
0: And so, just and and you work. We found you through ADKVideoEditing.com, um, the co-founder at Mix and Light, Robbie Carmen. He spoke to you when he was putting together a kind of home system. Uh, to run DaVinci Resolve was really happy, has referred a bunch of people to you to your company, and they've all been really happy. So when it came time for me to move from a Mac to a PC on a DaVinci Resolve station, you guys are my first phone call, and I've been very happy. And I gotta tell you, Eric, you know, you're kind of that point of initial contact, at least for me you were, and it was just a real joy talking to someone who seems to understand the technical back end of this. Like, you ask questions that I don't always know why you're asking the question for, and then we have that conversation about why. And it's nice hearing someone who can kind of translate geek talk into English.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's that's definitely something that we try and do, because we want people to understand why they're getting what they're getting, as well as, you know, the reasons behind uh, configuring systems a certain way and how it's based on what they currently do day to day because then they actually feel confident in what their investment is and the fact that they're getting something that's built around their work and what their workflow requirements are.
0: And uh, before we dig into this, and I, I think the way I want to structure this this uh, discussion we're having is first from, you know, because we're a, a color correction website and so we've got a lot of editors. We've got a lot of DPs. We've got some. We've got educators. We've got colorists, who are working on some bit of software, and a lot of them are Mac-based, uh, using apps that are cross-platform. And so for them, there's a big question as to whether or not. Uh, We're going to move from a Mac to a PC. Does that move make sense? I myself have been almost, I've been using a Mac. I mean, I was on an Avid on a Mac in 1991, right? And so that's how long I've, I've been on that Mac platform, been very comfortable on it now. And, but before we get into that discussion, I just want to talk a little bit about your background so people know, like, who you are, where you're from, what your interests are. And uh, so, as I understand it, you are full-time working at Northern Kentucky University. And essentially, correct. it sounds like you're, like, IT support. Is that correct?
1: Yes. I'm the primary IT person for uh, the Fine Arts uh, Building and about three departments that make up the Fine Arts uh, Building.
0: And are you working, like, a mix of Mac and PCs or...?
1: uh all the labs but one are actually mac one lab is windows based or pc and then the rest of them are mac currently uh, because that's the way as far as they have dealt with and the uh, partners uh, that the university works with for co-op and um, who the students oftentimes end up going out and applying at as far as studios and that goes are still mac based houses as far as uh, what's in the area so they try and mimic what the you know, students are going to experience when they get out in the field.
0: Uh, that makes total sense. And so are they, I'm just curious, actually, Premiere Pro, Final Cut 10, what are they working on? Adobe. Everything's Adobe,
1: Adobe at this point. Yeah. Yes. Okay,
0: all right. And then your your Windows-based uh, lab, is that is that audio or is that completely different?
1: No, uh, that one is a combination Adobe lab and they also use CAD and uh, drafting software. In there. So that one is uh, one they're getting ready to update. That's going to have some really nice hardware in it uh, for the students. Uh, But uh, unfortunately, because that's the only uh, Windows lab, that's where they have to put all that software on. Uh, I'm trying to get them to, you know, when they change out the other labs that are Mac based. to consider moving to Windows you know, PCs on those as well, uh, just because pretty much the fine art school is Adobe at this point.
0: Yeah, now are you finding, I mean, is, is there evidence when you look at the business region there uh, for your students that there is a move off a of Mac or does it feel like everyone's kind of holding on?
1: No, there's a move, but it's the small businesses because they have more flexibility move first yeah and you've seen a significant portion of those in the media content industry go ahead and move from mac to pc uh larger corporations bigger studios and especially universities because their particular hardware cycle you know is five to eight years right they're much slower in making that move now you know the the this is not a huge media market in this area, so it's going to make them a little bit slower as far as the studios around here and broadcasting that uh, to make the switch from uh, Mac to PC. Right. A few have started, but they haven't quite yet.
0: Now, when you look back at your experience of being an IT professional and your initial interest, even in this whole, you know, the hardware side of of what we do. Were you always a PC kind of guy or were you a Mac guy that was forced into working in the Windows world or
1: No, actually, it was PC from the beginning. Yeah. I pretty much exposed to it from, you know, the 486 days. <laughs> uh that was the first computer my brother got. Uh friends before that, had Commodore 64 so if anybody remembers those little Sure. those little calculators. Uh <laughs> So, I mean, that's that's where I started being exposed. Then the next system he got was a gateway. Uh, started getting into it a little bit more. And then I actually didn't really start the technical side until I joined a system configurator in 1997. Okay. Uh, and that's when I actually got into the whole mass building aspect of computers. And that's when I first built my own, was a Pentium II system, right. actually, at that time. So i didn't really get much involved in the mac believe it or not until years later when i worked at pc wholesalers and they were actually a mac reseller and that was kind of when i started getting into the mac side
0: i'm curious so when you when you made that move from pc to mac Mm -hmm. um did anything surprise you about that were you like oh my god what are these people doing or were you or was there anything like impressive about it or was it just like you people are all nuts
1: uh, not really at at the time i wasn't a big fan of just the whole out layout of osx right and the imacs that had the crts were just ugly those <laughs> things were just dog ugly <laughs> and it you know you know you know the current mac people were really into aesthetics and in that so it's kind of funny being the opposite back in that time period <laughs> but you could get a much slicker looking pc than those CRT <laughs> yeah, those, ugly IMAX.
0: Those were pretty brutal, yeah. Oh, yeah. they were.
1: And, yeah. and of course, you know, you get to the performance of it and it wasn't that, you know, anything different than what you were used to with Windows other than it didn't crash. Yeah. That was really yeah. about, you know, the only thing at the time. OSX was super stable. Now, um, if
0: you, as you look over the past 15 years, has there been a time where you thought like, oh my God, Apple is like, they're like on the cutting edge. They're, you know, if I had a choice between a PC or an Apple... Uh, I definitely, you know, I just go with the Apple because you get better performance out of it, or have you not really seen it?
1: I've not really seen it in most things simply because there was a lot of really misinformation and misunderstanding about Windows and PC at that time. Uh, Windows XP was actually a phenomenally stable operating system, and the performance mm-hmm. of it at the time was really exceptional mm-hmm. uh, for an operating system. And, you know, Vista came out, and you had this mass exodus to OS X and, right. and Mac at that time. That's when Mac's market share started growing. Yeah. And uh, it made sense at that time just because Vista was so bloated and crashy and just really a horrible operating system. And that's also when, uh, probably a little bit after that, I think, maybe. Uh, we started reselling Macs at eighty K because I was already at eighty K by that point. Gotcha. And the Mac Pros at that time were probably that was probably the glory days and that's what everybody thinks about. Yeah. Uh with Mac Pros is when they came out with a cheese grate. Yeah. And everybody just looked at the tower and everything about it was just well done. Yeah. I mean there was nothing, you know, the way it was built into, the way it was laid out. Uh, how quiet it was uh, the performance was exceptional uh, at the time you know because it was being you know it was still 32-bit OSX was still 32-bit at the time so that part was still a downside but you know for a 32-bit OS it was it was smoking uh, and that was probably the last time that Apple really had potential as leading the market and then everything changed
0: you know, it's interesting, because I'm looking, as we record this, I look down next to me, and what have I got? I've got a 2010 cheese grater, right? And mm-hmm. it's lasted me this long. I mean, I, why did I call you guys? Is because I finally ran into a job that the computer just couldn't handle. Mm-hmm. And it meant that I was doing, in DaVinci Resolve terms, it meant I was heavily using the render cache, I was pre-rendering stuff I was optimizing media stuff like when I have to start doing that it Mm -hmm. slows me down it and it really trips me up and there was no way around it. there was no graphics card I could buy that's an upgrade over what I have now you know there was no it's not just a raid being not fast enough it's literally the throughput on the machine Mm -hmm. and 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 so now here we are in 2017 and it's like okay finally i've i had the job that came in that that's my that's my indicator that it's time to upgrade and as i look at those landscape now i pretty much i have trouble justifying the new mac pro that's already what 3 years old you know
1: yeah yeah that's that that's definitely the problem and and that's really intel ramped up their essential uh update cycle for the processors that they were putting out and that, it first started in 2006, 2007, when they started the TikTok model, and, and essentially what that was is the, the first release on a chip is a complete architecture change, right. where they redo the, you know, pretty much the whole uh, layout and, and construction of the chip, the framework of the chip, right. and then uh, the next step, which is the second release, that's the talk, was a a die stepping change. It's when they shrink the space between the gates where they call the die shrink, uh, down on the chip, which improves energy consumption and, you know, or slash combination of, uh, improving frequency where they can, you know, either lower the amount of power the chip's using or raise the frequency of the chip without necessarily raising the heat generation of the chip. And that tick tock model was basically about every three years for the complete cycle. Uh, so it was about a year, year and a half. It was supposed to be every year they made a change, and they just never made the time frame. Right. Um, but on average, it was every three years. And with that change, every time there was a tick-tock, and then the next tick, there was a new board, new platform, new hardware. You know, pretty much the core system, new memory. You know, would release if new memory architecture would release. And Apple simply was not able to keep up with that time frame. It right. was, and it comes down to the way Apple does their product, um, since everything of theirs that they they build is all essentially uh, custom to Apple specifications. They have to go to their ODM partners in Asia, uh, predominantly, and basically engineer with them all the components that are going to go into the system if they haven't already engineered it themselves and then they have to essentially work out a contract with them on how many of those pieces they're going to buy based on the pricing that they want overall for the entire product like a mac pro or a macbook pro or that kind of thing uh, they call that a minimum order quantity okay. and that particular process decides the price that Apple has to pay the more item you know the more of that product they can order at one time the cheaper the overall price is per piece so they can lower the cost but they also have to turn around and sell all those right because once they make that order they're committed they cannot back out uh, without serious you know repercussions so what that means is when they get over here, obviously to North America and the United States market predominantly, uh, is they have to sell if it's 30,000, 50,000, hundred thousand, half a million minimum order quantity of all the components they have to get to get it in that price range, they have to sell all those. And until they do, they probably <laughs> will not change their hardware, which is what you have seen since basically, you know, the Mac pro was, leading the market back in 2010 to 2012 right. and that's why they've fallen behind the market is they essentially their sales dictate how often and when they can actually upgrade to the current market whereas pc doesn't have it, nearly as much of that because the the pc market is 90 percent of the computer market globally right. if not more right. so them me you know fulfilling an order minimum order quantity is nothing and they you know they clear out inventory in a month apple doesn't have that capability so as you can see the pc market is able to immediately adapt to technology changes that intel basically leads with their, when they you know release a processor uh there's often a chipset uh at least half the time that's released at that time that also intel releases which means all the boards have to be redone and at that point when they do that they oftentimes look to introduce new memory technology like ddr4 that released in the last two platforms on the pc side if you don't change to the latest hardware, you don't get all the benefits of the entire new core system, which is a massive performance difference when you're dealing with media content creation software that uses GPUs, i.e. GPU acceleration. There's a huge misconception on GPU acceleration throughout the market that all the work's done by the GPUs, and that's not the case. Hmm. What actually happens is all the data has to decode at the processor. In other words, the processor has to decode all the data, has to format it in RAM. okay, and basically get all the memory buffers created for all the data that gets sent down to the GPUs for processing. Uh, So then, you know, once all that's done, then the memory has to transmit the data or the GPUs have to pull the data into its RAM and then, you know, process all the actual GPU acceleration data, then it's got to go back to memory, and then the processor has to do any processor CPU encoding that it has to do. So as you can see, it's a pipeline uh, of hardware that's all involved in the process. So if any one set of components are significantly inferior, the entire pipeline is affected, which is why you see huge performance differences in hardware that people don't necessarily expect when they spend that kind of money don't work as advertised.
0: So essentially what's happening is they're kind of mixing and matching maybe older technology with current technology and they're paying a price that they didn't really expect to see.
1: Right. They, they, they expected to get the same results that everyone else is getting with the latest and greatest of everything and they don't. And that's because it's not just the GPUs or it's not just the CPUs uh it's not just the ram although the ram is a massive impact on performance that people don't realize uh it's all of it and then of course the total throughput on the boards because you know the boards and laptops for example don't have nearly as much total throughput as a dual Xeon board for example so a lot more data I mean your highways are bigger than all the data is traveling on right. which it's just like a car highway the more lanes you have A lot greater traffic can pass at the same time. It's the same concept.
0: (laughs) You know, as as a Mac guy, I'm so used to good, better, best as my purchasing choices and options. Mm -hmm. This sounds massively more complicated as I move off of that platform, which is, I guess, what it is. It's an ecosystem, right? It's a Mm -hmm. well-defined ecosystem Mm -hmm. into more like this wild west of... Uh, the PC world where already it's like, wait, I've got to match what? <laughs> How do I grasp my head around this?
1: That really has been, uh, honestly, the, the overall reaction of, of a lot of the industry. And it, it really kind of reflected also with the cameras as well. I mean, the, the, the camera's evolution over the last eight years has exponentially increased but yeah. it was a very slow start because people don't like to change what they're used to yeah. and there, and as they come out with all these new you know technology uh improvements as well as new technologies to even use everything becomes more complicated and the information is spread out everywhere so who do you go to to ask these questions or where do you find the information and it, you're not going to find that information at the tier one OEMs, which is Apple, Dell, HP, uh, you know, Asus to some extent now at this point, right uh, Lenovo, that kind of thing. So you either have to do the research of the information yourself or you got to find, you know, experts at normally small businesses that actually do study and keep up with the industry changes, uh, are able to adapt to the industry because they're buying you know product uh based on what the customers want then and changing as soon as the customers want or need something else so oftentimes your small businesses are the best place to go switching from the mac to to pc world uh with the mac you didn't really have any questions but with those you know far less questions or you don't have to worry about what hardware works best together what doesn't work well that kind of thing you sacrifice performance and upgradability. And that's fine when your software doesn't change so much in the past when the software development cycle on average was three years normally between software releases or more. Now the software updates due to the cloud model is annually.
0: (laughs) It is. It's crazy. DaVinci Resolve from year to year could do a complete not only software upgrade, but complete UI overhaul. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've done that in the past, you know. Yep. Uh, Apple, I mean, uh, Adobe on their Creative Cloud, and they had the twenty CC, CC 2015, which went through 2016, and now they're on 2017. But they had, what, three major updates across those two years that they were on CC 2015 um, that were massive. I mean, they, they could have been standalone updates on their mm-hmm. own.
1: Yep. And that's the benefit of the cloud model. The whole concept behind, behind the cloud model, uh, the positive aspect, because everybody knows and, and despises the negative aspect, yeah. you're essentially held hostage by the software designer. Nice. You have to continue to pay for the software. You cannot open your project. So yeah. essentially your content is at the mercy of the software provider. So that particular aspect of the cloud, everybody really, really finds uh, negative. Uh, The positive aspect, which was really the point the software designers made the move to the cloud to begin with, especially Adobe, is the fact that engineering development, uh, like the Adobe product line that has multiple products over their entire product line that they're working on, is they had separate teams developing each of the projects uh, and product lines. And that becomes a massive overhead expense that is very hard to essentially you know, budget, calculate your resources that you need to develop the product, then to also test it and then support it long-term uh, because all your teams are fixed and yeah. your sales are based off of, you know, essentially whatever perpetual license revenue that you get. You normally get a huge bonus the first year release and then after that, it, it's a trickle effect where the amount of capital you get diminishes over time. And they looked at that and said, If we go to a subscription model where we have repetitive residual income, then we can schedule and and base our development teams off of the demand because we know how many people are in the subscription. We know exactly how much money we're going to make every quarter. So it becomes very easy to manage and budget and schedule all these resources. And then on top of that, the other improvement gave you the ability to update on demand, and that was the biggest one when yeah. when customers come back to you and say, I've got this problem in the software you did, this bug is in here, I need to be able to do this, I can't do this anymore, and you, you took it out, why did you take it out, you know, constant things you hear in the media content industry specifically. Uh, Adobe is able to, at that point, immediately make changes to that particular product and then not have to wait for all the updates in other teams to get done with the other products. They can just release for the product that needs it. And that is it. Considering the time production time frames now have gotten so short in the industry and everybody's pushing them to be even shorter if they can, that's a huge change because software couldn't adapt that way before. Uh, the downside is now hardware starts getting behind the software, and yeah. that is what the industry is looking head, basically head-on right now.
0: Yeah, with the move to 4K and above, right?
1: oh yeah you know when 4k released it literally brought every system out to its knees i mean nothing <laughs> could handle it you yeah. had to render it was taking minutes to people to do a 30 second playback i mean it was it was all over the place and that was at the hardware at the time so the hardware was already getting behind the software that was releasing then gpu acceleration was you know really pushed as a resolution for this huge you know restriction uh, with the current software and hardware that was available at that time that started leveraging more processing available in the system mm-hmm. and that allowed immediately to you to play back 4k media without rendering sometimes even add effects if you had the latest hardware and still play back without rendering and that's where it kept building beyond that well now we have the 8k release and then once again the hardware is completely back behind the software, that, you know, and even the software to some extent is not necessarily ready to handle the AK.
0: Yeah, and then you start throwing that into like a VR world, right? Oh, yeah, that's
1: that's really <laughs> the thing is now we're changing the entire uh, basically display component and which is significantly altering the processing load on the system because instead of two dimensions, now you're dealing with four dimensions or three dimensions. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's, it's getting... Really, really intense now, and that's where the hardware is at. I mean, this, the hardware is literally, you know, trying to catch up to the pace of where the software has suddenly exploded in the features available, and the market's exploded. I mean, the whole virtual reality content—it's in its infancy, and this is finally a viable, you know, 3D system that people are going to be, you know, attracted to. That's going to grab a huge market. Um, versus the previous 3D that people just, you know, never seem to really grab onto and say, "Yeah, this is, you know, the greatest thing." So yeah, VR yeah, seems we'll to see, be it.
0: We'll see how VR, you know, works out. I never I was never a big um, believer in the long-term viability of the 3D systems as they reemerged uh, earlier this century. But uh, you know, VR, I'm taking a wait-and-see attitude. In fact. Part of my reason for you know calling you guys and building out a PC Windows based system is the VR tools. I want to be able to if a client walks up and says, "Have you done any VR kind of color work?" I want to be able to say, "No, but I can." Right? I've got <laughs> yeah. the, I've got the tool set. What I've got this I can run the software that all the VR people are running, um, and I can load that up and and start working on it. You know. Mm Um, and, and I just can't say that if I stay within the, the, the OS X ecosystem right now.
1: You definitely can't. Yeah. The the biggest problem in the media content market is the Mac pro. The the trash can has not been updated, uh, since 2013 and there's been basically two huge platform releases since then on that platform. That's, that's the workstation platform. Uh, what's the X99 platform, essentially, in in the PC world uh, now, which was the X79 before. And the the move to DDR4 completely opened up a a massive bottleneck as soon as you hit 4K and above in the media content world because it takes so much data to generate 4K frames. People don't realize how massive that amount of data is. It's four to eight times the amount of data of a 1080 frame. Uh, So... That huge bottleneck that's in the Mac Pro, just being a DDR3 system uh, for high-resolution media, is just too much. And it still hasn't been updated. And here you have Broadwell-E on the PC, which has DDR4, has you know the the highest clocked frequency uh, 10-core chip around uh, that's unlocked that you can clock even higher and the ddr4 at this point is so refined that they're you know reaching almost four gigahertz in memory speed which is phenomenal uh, because that's up in the realm of you know gddr5 Uh, you're now talking more than essentially double the throughput capability of real throughput that you end up getting out of memory which was a massive increase because you have so much data transiting between the processor and the video card and not only do you have a massive amount of data, the biggest thing is you're dealing with what's called real-time priority applications, which means you have a limited scope of time to process that data in. Otherwise you start having negative experiences with the software, i.e. playback. You know, right. Your playback's right. not you know seamless. That much larger highway and much faster speed of the data getting there is what was essentially required to playback 4, 5, and 6K uh, easily without you know having to render a timeline create a file and play back from the file right so that that's a huge difference just in you know the mac basically flagship platform that is specifically for you know what's supposed to be for high performance computing uh, which is the media content market at this point and then and then on top of that they chose you know the amd video cards which requires opencl versus cuda with nvidia and cuda's uh, development is far more refined the performance is better it's more stable and uh, the memory management profiles which is the biggest uh, performance impact of the gpu acceleration is far better on cuda uh, it's far more refined than OpenCL.
0: So on a platform like uh, DaVinci Resolve, which mm-hmm. allows you to make a choice between CUDA and OpenCL, mm-hmm. um, and I've talked to the the Resolve guys, and they'll often and they'll say, "Yeah, I mean, we've we've worked really hard on the performance of OpenCL. Mm-hmm. We are we have a CUDA legacy. That's how we started this, but we've made the move to OpenCL. We're really happy with that implementation. But you're saying, even if you have a really good implementation of OpenCL, uh, you're what would might be the performance benefits you'll see if you're working in CUDA? Uh,
1: on average, normally the CUDA performance is better. Period. Uh, it's okay. it's significantly higher. Okay. It's more stable. You normally have less artifacts and crashing. The the one of the big issues that everybody talked about in the Adobe side with the Mac Pro and OpenCL was these random red frames that would appear oh. in rendering. And yes. Uh, To some extent, Resolve had it, although it showed up a little bit different in Resolve. (laughs) It showed up as artifacts. Um, But either way, that was due to memory management profiles that needed significantly more refining to do with the codec processing. And, you know, that stability along with, you know, constant crashing of the applications, because eventually you keep getting those anomalies, the player is going to crash, and that causes the application to crash. So... CUDA's performance was better and it's more stable because the memory management is far more refined. And they have some new features with CUDA that has put it still above OpenCL as far as capability, too. Not everybody's implemented those yet, uh, but they are coming if they haven't been implemented yet. And that's once again going to increase the performance of CUDA versus where OpenCL is.
0: All right, so this is interesting. So, l- what I want to do is move the conversation a little bit. We've been talking a lot about Apple versus PC, and I, I don't want to come across as an Apple hater. I'm not. Uh, I continue to use my iPhone. I just bought my AirPods, right? Um, and and I and so I, you know, I love that company and what it's been doing for me. But as I now move over to a PC as my professional workspace, what do you find when you've got post production professionals coming off of Mac onto the Windows world, is is there something, some common misperception you see or some common expectation that drips them up that uh, you'd like to dispel? You
1: know, well, that... the biggest thing is, is color accuracy, especially for your all's market. Um, for years, people talked about how OS X had more color accuracy or was able to do 10-bit, which it still can, not right. um, natively anyway. Right. Um, and, you know, that you couldn't necessarily calibrate. Your display correctly on Windows and that kind of thing. All of that is not true. Uh, Windows actually does support 10-bit natively, okay. um, and you know with with OS X you have to install an API like you know Black Magic, Black Magic's hardware with their um, software that allows you to get 10-bit color out of their devices. Yeah, I mean that's uh, always
0: been the argument for for going with something like that because you bypass the Mac color internal color management system. Mm-hmm. and you use a dedicated output card that gives you a properly color-managed mm-hmm. pipeline. So you're suggesting that on a Windows platform, are we talking Windows 10 or even earlier than this?
1: Well, Windows 10 and Windows 7 also did, and it—it's the calibration aspect of the operating system is involved in both, Windows right. and OS X. Uh, and that has to do with a video driver. Essentially, if you don't have an I.O. card that bypasses the operating system threading and, and color space settings, because Windows supports ICC profiles just like OS X does, yeah. uh, essentially, the the IO card bypasses all of that color management that is built into the operating systems and in the video driver color space that is set and used by the video driver and directly outputs the color space from the application to the IO device, which is the hardware. And then the only thing that changes it there is obviously any hardware calibration or output options. Like, you know, some of the black magic cards for years could only do YUV. So, you know, that is the primary reason to use the I.O. cards, and that doesn't change whether you're on OSX or Windows. Okay. The difference is with Windows, if I wanted to, I could calibrate a display with a color eye meter or a spectrometer. I could set my ACC profiles in Windows and go 10 bit off of a windows display and get 10 bit color if i wanted to right would you want to do all that as a colorist no way no (laughs) way too much trouble not to mention if you don't get the color eye meter the spectrometer is thousands and thousands of dollars yes and you know when you get all that involved you just buy the io card and have a good day right (laughs) it's the point is that there's capability out there on the windows side that most people who have been OS X for years don't even know they can do. They don't even know it's a viable option, or that the hardware is better. Uh, the hardware options are better. The software works better on the hardware, regardless of what you know others have said. Um, Resolve has worked better on Windows than it has on OS X, hmm. and Adobe definitely does. Right. So you know, granted, you know. Do both work on OSX? Yes. Right. They just don't work as well. Right. So if you're tired of, you know, being pigeonholed into you get what performance you get with a platform that's more limited than it should be, then Windows and PC are, are the obvious reason to change. Because then you have control as long as you know who to go ask or who to talk to. What do I need to get? What works best? What doesn't work?
0: Now, I mean, another common, I guess, perception I know I've certainly had over the years is, you know, with Windows and the Windows platform, it's filled with bloatware, completely insecure, crashes all the time. I mean, are these things that in, you know, 2017, Windows 10, which is your likely install environment now, uh, that things I still need to worry about?
1: Uh, Windows 10, obviously, they built in their Xbox cloud-based module crap that they put in there. <laughs> and I, I, people just have to realize that both you know, Microsoft and Apple are going to a cloud-based operating system delivery. I mean, they, they're heading yeah. that way. If you uh, haven't have, seen it, you got to see it now.
0: Yeah, I mean, on, on OS 10 Sierra, I just installed that this week, finally. I always mm-hmm. wait about eight months or six months. And uh, I could even have my desktop on their cloud now. Yeah, it, it's it's
1: heading that direction. My, yeah. my MacBook for work has... You know, has a a 1012 on it and it's buggy, but you you see all the same features. And and with Windows 10, you saw it too, where essentially, you know, they're building their console platform to kind of integrate with what they're essentially putting up there for, you know, the Windows cloud. Uh, And that's where it's going. Beyond that, Windows 10 is really just a um, much more refined version of Windows 7. Uh, with some more features and and basically optimize graphical coding so it's and it's got some nice features as far as recovery goes that they added that's been a long time coming they took way too long to get some of those done and outside of that it would be people going to websites and downloading things they shouldn't download and believe it or not regardless of what people tell you you get those same scripts which is what they are whether they're viruses hijacks malware whatever they're all scripts you get those scripts on osx yeah it's just people don't necessarily notice them as much because their os is not crashing like windows will right that's really the main difference Uh, but if you're not going to those websites and you're using your editing system as a production system and you're going to you know, basically primary, you know, corporate websites and that, that you would be dealing with for customers or driver updates or those kind of things, you're never going to run into the problem.
0: Okay. And uh, while I'm at it, I, this wasn't on my list of questions, but for virus, uh, that kind of virus protection mm-hmm. software, is there something that you particularly care for? I, I've seen several questions of this pop up on forums mm-hmm. and some back and forth on this. I was curious if you had a preference
1: eset is what we recommended at adk it's what we use at adk the reason is is eset does not its scanning engine is a very low profile the biggest problems with the antivirus software that's been out and is out going you know back years and like everybody is completely against norton for that reason yeah is it has a massive profile on the system and by profile i mean basically an effect on the system to its performance to what it's doing currently at the time to how it affects the software that you're using at the time uh, to you know in the case of media content uh, creators when they're editing software and things like that changes they make to their project may not actually get saved to the project file because the antivirus software strips out the data because it doesn't recognize the cache file type so there are you know problems with other software that's out there ESET doesn't have any of those uh, so we recommend ESET. It doesn't necessarily have the best scanning engine out there for antivirus software, but for a production system, it's enough, you know, as long as you're not using it for everything else.
0: You yeah. Know, just general your web work. surfing, you know, and just, you know, getting yeah. the forums and all that. If
1: you're gonna, you know, spend several, you know, thousand dollars, five to 10 grand on, on a, you know, high performance workstation. You probably want to have your old computer as your office computer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and that's just continue exactly to make, doing. yeah, continue to make use of an investment that's already paid for itself.
0: All right, so that's some of the kind of the bigger questions in terms of just the overall Windows experience. Along the same same kind is, and and this is this is a question that was submitted to me, but I actually it was a good one, which is BIOS, mm-hmm. right? So um, for a Mac user who has any little bit of experience with older PCs, you knew what you know that BIOS is all like it's this weird command line stuff that pops up and you can kind of do some weird stuff in there and is that still something that that we're dealing with in Windows and as a Mac user am I going to be completely lost if I'm having some performance problem and all of a sudden I'm going to be told I have to go into adjust my BIOS.
1: Well, you would be if you didn't have direction. Uh, the BIOS now is is changed. It's now EFI, which is the same system type that Apple uses for okay. uh, the Mac system. Okay. Uh, their EFI is not really interfaceable. In other words, you know, users can't really do anything to the EFI. It's basically all coded in uh, on the pc side the efi is customizable that's the way they've always built it because obviously pc users want to have control and need to have control with the hardware options that are out there uh so it is an efi system now but the benefits being that it's an efi system it's now graphical and you can even use your mouse in it okay uh, so it's it's interfaceable. Like if you were in an application in, in an operating system and you were making changes and buttons and settings and those kind of things, so it's 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 a normal type interface that you would be used to if you used applications on Windows. But what the settings do are probably not something most people know. Uh, so that is one of those things you really, if you want to change it from the default, which the default works for most hardware configurations out there if you don't know what you're doing a lot of times you just want to keep it the default bias and you know let it do its thing uh, you sacrifice performance that way but if you don't know what you're doing that's oftentimes the best way not to you know make the hardware break or something uh, that's what you do but if you do have someone that you can ask or in the case you buy a you know custom workstation they will often and we do at ADK, go through the bios and set it up for optimal settings that you will want for the hardware that you get Hmm. Uh, that will also give you the best performance for the hardware because it's a lot of another aspect of the industry that most people don't uh, don't know is processors specifically for example uh are tested they they basically you know Take this block that's called a die, and they, you know, laser out all the little processor chips, uh, and then they test those chips, and then they, you know, based on the testing and how they do it in the testing, they get what's called bins where they put in the bin uh, based on how they performed in the testing and what Intel has set for specs that they are going to deliver for processors.
0: Right. It's kind of like uh, with reference monitors, right? Mm-hmm. Like the high-end monitors are the ones that have no dead pixels, and then the more dead pixels, they kind of end up getting lower and lower until they're sold to the final consumer. Yeah, panels. And, yeah, yeah, they exactly. do panels
1: very similar. Uh, but processors have been doing this way for ages. And what that means is, for example, especially with Intel's Turbo technology, where you can, you know, that's how they clock a chip up automatically, uh, is you can take processors, for example, like uh, the new uh, Intel 6950X or newer. Uh, it's been out many months at this point. Uh, that is a base clock speed of three gigahertz and it turbos to 3.5 on most of the cores is you can clock it you know upwards of four gigahertz pretty much in every one of those chips without really raising the voltage much at all Hmm. Uh, and it's completely stable and that those kind of setting changes massively changes your experience in a media content application, because once again, you are dealing with real time applications. If it's not a compositor and there's a RAM preview and it's generating, you know, a preview over time before it plays, it's not real time. Right. Uh, That huge clock change is a massive performance increase on that, you know, application processing that frame data in that period of time. And it's also because of GPU acceleration, Extremely important the GPU acceleration because that decides how fast the data gets from the processor to the GPU
0: and back again and back
1: again and involved in that is your memory clock speed, which once again is customizable on the Windows platform on the PC platform and uh, and and this is all
0: customizable through your
1: BIOS through the BIOS settings and that allows you to maximize the performance of the hardware that's more than capable of doing this speed. And that gives you the best GPU acceleration performance you're going to get based on the GPUs. And another aspect of it that is involved with this that most people run into, your GPUs, you can buy the biggest GPU that's available, like the current you know, Titan card that's out there, yeah. uh, the brand new one, the Pascal version. And you can buy that and put it on a system that is not really clocked up, it's just using default settings, for example. And that processor and memory cannot feed enough data to that GPU to push that GPU. So what that means is you're only going to use a portion of the GPU's capability, 10, 20 percent, 30 percent, that kind of thing. Uh, So you're not going to get that
0: much of a performance. It can be depending on what platform Mm -hmm. you put it in, Right. Uh, right,
1: because you have to get the data to the GPU. The GPU doesn't do anything until the data is available
0: because i would have thought as i would have thought that installing the drivers that would drive let's say the pascal gpu <laughs> that Kind of part of that installation process is kind of making sure the system can handle
1: it, but that's not nope. what's happening. No, nah, it doesn't do that. <laughs> All it does is verify that the operating system can handle the driver and that, you know, obviously the hardware driver is certified for the operating system. Right. Um, it does handle, you know, the driver will handle clocking changes for the GPU. It will handle, obviously, the OpenCL or CUDA uh, code that is you know, installed with a GPU because those, you know, that C++ libraries that's reference for the GPU acceleration. Uh, but that's really about it. Uh, beyond that, it's all hardware level and the hardware decides how fast the data gets there, how fast the data gets back. And then overall, the entire pipeline decides how fast you see that data on your screen. So that's why it shows up as frames that drop during playback.
0: And that wraps up part one of our discussion with Eric Bowen. And in part two, we're going to get a lot more specific about the various gear and CPUs and GPUs and all the different components you might want to put together and how you might put them together differently if you work in Premiere Pro versus, say, DaVinci Resolve. So all that and more coming up in part two, where after part two, we are also going to take your questions gather them all up together, and then Eric and I are going to do part three where we answer your questions. from MixingLight.com, I'm Patrick Inhofer. I'll see you next time.